Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and will hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal here is to talk to guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through this story hopefully get inspired myself, perhaps inspire you as well. If you would be so kind, if this show is for you, if you like it, if you'd like to do something for the show or to give back in any way just reach into your pocket pick up your iPhone pick up your Android hit share and just share out the show to your Twitter people to your Facebook people however you choose to do it that'd be wonderful if you want to go one step further if you could go to the iTunes app in your phone or on your computer leave a rating leave a comment it does me an enormous service my um, guest today is my meditation teacher Light Watkins is his name you can follow him on Twitter at Light Watkins um, why have I got my meditation teacher on the show today? Well, because I've had the toughest week I've had in a really long time. Uh, I'll give you the short version. I had allowed my practice, the discipline that I have to upkeep so I can maintain my day-to-day, I'd allowed it to really slip. I'd become, I don't think lazy is the word, but I'd just become undisciplined about my sleep, about how much pressure I was putting myself under with work, about the expectations I was putting on uh, certain meetings, uh, certain outcomes certain people I had made that expectation no one else and um, before I knew it I couldn't remember the last night that I had eight hours sleep and uh, five hours sleep was the new norm and all these meetings were piling up all this work was piling up and I'm traveling overseas and then there was a, a, a particular moment that came along when I needed all of my strength for it but all that strength wasn't there at the point when I needed it and then that moment came along and Boom. But thankfully, I have a lot of friends that were around and I was able to get on the phone and talk and Skype and text and and, and get me through. Um, anyone who deals with um, anxiety or depression will, will know what it's like when that happens. It's very scary. Um, I know the work to do. I've got the work to do. I know how to get from here to, you know, 
equilibrium. Uh, but it is, it's, it's kind of tough right now. So I would say to you that if you're just kind of running on autopilot, if you deal with this kind of thing and you're running on autopilot, I would implore you don't ever take it for granted. <laughs> keep up your practice, keep up what you're doing. Uh, which is, you know, kind of why I've, I've chosen to put this episode. I bumped him up in the order because I think, you know, I kind of needed to hear his voice today. Uh, so this is my meditation teacher. He's a really interesting guy. His name is Light Watkins. You can follow him on Twitter at L-I-G-H-T-W-A-T-K-I-N-S, Light Watkins. He's a really interesting dude. If you've never meditated, if you've wondered about meditating, if you've wondered what a meditation teacher does or how a meditation teacher looks on, at life or or what happens to your brain when you meditate, or where do you go when you meditate? Or if you've got any misconceptions about med- about meditating, we pretty much we cover them here. So um, enjoy this conversation. I mean, full disclosure. I mean, I I did his course. That's how how I came to know him. I paid for his course. I took his course. I found it beneficial. It's what worked for me. It's not to say it works for everyone. It's not to say there's only one way to do it. There's many, many, many ways to find that. And I'm just saying this is just one of them. And this is one that kind of worked for me. So with that in mind, let's have a cup of tea with light. Oh, that's good. What kind of tea are you drinking today, light? I'm drinking... Um, this i think it's just green tea i get my green tea from hopefully it's not loose leaf tea it's it's packaged right leaf tea, tea we um i should call it out straight away light we're pretty we're so venice beach right now <laughs> <laughs> i know Drink, drinking tea in the middle uh, of the day 100 meters from the ocean uh-huh. uh sitting down to talk about meditation everybody else is slaving away at work this is work yeah i'm, I'm working right now i am at work yeah. This is me at work. How are you, Light? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm really so glad to be here. I'm really glad you could do this, man. Yeah, I know. I'm really grateful you can be here. And, um, you know, because a lot of people ask me uh, to get you on. Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. People want... I, like who? I, well, pe- people on Twitter, you know, because I talk about you quite a lot. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. During the during the episodes, I talk about you. and Okay. And so people are like, when are you going to get him on? People also wanted it. They want my doctor on as well. But uh-huh. he's in Sydney, so that's another story. Um. But yeah, so I talk, I talk about you and I talk about the meditation that I do um, and I talk about dealing with my anxiety on the show and I'm just really grateful you can be here and hopefully, you know, we can talk to people about what meditation is, what meditation yeah. isn't mm-hmm. and because um, this may be the first time that a lot of people hear about mm-hmm. meditation outside of their paradigms of what they've seen on TV or cartoons or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to guess by the photos on the wall of your studio that you came to meditation through yoga. Would that be right? Indirectly, actually. And I know that sounds a little weird, but I, I was doing, I was a really big yoga enthusiast uh, from my New York days. I used to live in New York and I was working as a fashion model. And um, you can't tell by looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> when I explained to people, I was like, like, yeah, he's my meditation teacher, but I can't look at him for too long. <laughs> he's so handsome. Oh, you're so nice. <laughs> um, I used to work out at Equinox on Amsterdam and 76th Street up in um, in Manhattan. And <clears throat> and that's all I did was just work out. I just worked out. That was a part of the deal with being it's a your job. You worked out. Exactly. That was part of your job. And I would go in the evenings and I just noticed that there was all these beautiful women congregating over in one particular corner of the weight room. And then they would go into this other room and 
stretch and all that. And I didn't really know anything about yoga at the time, but uh, I did know a lot about wanting to be around beautiful women. And you wouldn't be the first guy that's <laughs> followed a hot girl to a yoga class, man. <laughs> yeah, so I that's that was my introduction to yoga. I went into the yoga class, and I was literally the only guy around 20, 30, you know, beautiful, young, hot women. And, uh, and I kept going back. Something about it just, just, uh, was calling to me and I just kept going back. And then I started to appreciate the practice itself. And, you know, you do a little bit of meditation here and there at the end of a yoga class. I didn't really, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really going for that. And, uh, and then a couple years later, I started reading all these different spiritual books like Conversations with God and Seat of the Soul. And that's really where I started to, um, to get a language for meditative states and, and, but it's even still, I didn't, I didn't, uh, have any tangible experiences. And let I me, went, let me just, let me just tie a bow in there. Cause I have also, when I first started yoga, I'm like, someone said, you should really go to yoga. And uh, I, this is 2002 when I started. And I too noticed like, oh, there's some really hot women in here. And, after Shavasana, they all, hair's all out. I'm like, wow, what's going on? And then a couple of classes later, I noticed that whatever that sexual energy that was being aroused in me um, wasn't at all relevant. Mm-hmm. It became pretty evident fairly quickly that the yoga was like, we'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, did you find that? Did you find that as well? Did you find like, yes, indeed, you followed the pretty girls into the yoga room, but soon enough like the energy redistribution that yoga brings you frees you of that i'm following my sexual energy around well i wouldn't see it as a as an either or thing i would see it as a both and thing that was there for sure i mean it's there just all the time anyway as a man man. yeah exactly what ended up happening is i ended up getting into yoga i ended up teaching yoga when i moved to la a few years later i um i was at a crossroads in my life my modeling career started to go on on the decline for whatever reason but that was okay. I wasn't really that passionate about it anymore. It's usually, anyway. thirty is that right? <laughs> yeah, I was twenty nine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and <clears throat> and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know that I loved doing yoga. I loved talking about spirituality. I loved moving the body, and I loved you know being around a bunch of women. And uh, and so I started to do a yoga teacher's training, and then after that, I ended up coming into, I ended up crossing paths with a guy that I met in New York. I took his yoga class one time in New York. My girlfriend brought me to his yoga class and I I loved his class and uh, he was Australian. And I never went back though because it was in a, it was in a hard to get to place. And I ended up running into him in West, West Hollywood about two months after I moved to LA and we became fast friends because that girl who brought me to his class, we ended up breaking up. It was kind of difficult breakup. And that was the thing that kind of propelled me out of, out of New York, just getting away from that situation. Yeah. He had just gone through the same kind of situation with his girlfriend in New York. And so we both ended up in West Hollywood. And then a couple months after that, he says, I want you to meet my meditation teacher. And that's where I started to, uh, that's where I, where I found meditation. Right. And do you remember... Because, like, I'm I'm sure when when you speak to me about the troubles that I faced, did you face those same troubles when you were learning? Uh, which remind me, which ones? You well, faced? like when 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 I talk about just like the, the, my mind, the mind just like chat 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 and like and and finding time to, yeah. to do it. You know, 
Because it'd be interesting to know if you actually had. You know, I was well. well, You you have to remember, I was a I was teaching yoga. All right. So So, you know, I was already talking about meditative states, but I never really experienced them on my own. It was all mostly theory. So I was actually it was I was like this really interested researcher and scientist Uh in the metaphysical realms and. And uh, and so it was. It was very. It was very fascinating for me. And when I first got my, got the instruction and got a, a chance to have a tangible experience, then it became something that uh, I look forward to doing. I, although I did, I wasn't as consistent as I am these days. I was still kind of, because I never really considered myself to be a stressed out or anxious person. I've always had a sort of a calm demeanor. Um, but what what I started to get from that experience and especially from those initial days was this background of knowingness that you're okay where you are you're doing the right thing and and then you know you get these signs like if you, i don't know if you've read the book the alchemist i do remember they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they talk about omens so you get these omens these signs that kind of help you to know that you're on the right path and um and so that started happening a lot and um, and that fueled the inspiration to continue on. And so, you know, I, I didn't get consistent until about a year and a half after I started meditating. I would do it every now and again, but I started dating a girl, and meditation became sort of my filter. Like, if you weren't interested in meditation, then this was going to be nothing more than just a casual fling. Mm. But if you were interested in it, then we could probably be a little closer. She was a meditator or you? Were? I introduced her to my teacher, uh, and she she took to it like a fish to water. Right. And um and it's because I was the quotes unquote veteran meditator, then I had to be the one that was, you know, on the program. Yeah. And uh, and she was like religious about it, so which I really liked. So after I started dating her, we start I started meditating every day and I haven't really missed many days since Wow. Then. Amazing. Yeah. And that's that was probably eight years ago or so. Now and we've been talking uh and you know, we should discuss it because people may you know, question it. You're a meditation teacher. And I know you've spoken about this, so mm-hmm. I'll get you to talk about it. You're a meditation teacher. You're not a monk. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that someone who's affiliated in some professional way or spiritual way with meditation uh, should lead some sort of monastic type of lifestyle. And the specific meditation that I teach and that you learned uh, is a meditation that's not, that's intended for householders, busy people, people with families and relationships. And in fact, the original meditators on the planet were householders. So, just tapping back into that into that uh, source knowledge has given us the the ability to meditate in a way that actually suits our lifestyle. You know, we don't have to sit around in caves for hours and hours yeah. trying to access a state. You can actually access that state in a very easy simple way when you know what you're doing but you, it's like to say that you, you don't you not live a life of abstinence from no, sex drugs and no, alcohol no no, and, no 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 still very much you know into everything relationships yeah. you know i i don't really drink but that's just a personal choice i made when i was 25 years old before i even got into meditation oh, good for you <laughs> mine, mine was mine was a personal choice but it was like it was more of an, an it was enforced. a very obvious choice that had to be made <laughs> But yeah. so that's that's an interesting uh, well for for a start that's an interesting misconception that people may have about what is a meditation teacher and what is not a meditation yeah. teacher. And so what will happen is people will just disqualify themselves and think, oh, I can't meditate because I can't. What they're essentially saying is I can't be a monk. Yeah, you know, I've got too many things to do. 
I've got all these relationships. I like relationships. I don't want to give up all of that. I don't want to give up alcohol. And the truth is you don't have to give up anything. What you do is you start practicing and whatever is good about you is going to rise to the surface and whatever is unsustainable about you uh, is going to start to gradually fall away. So one of the things I tell people is meditation teaches you how to be a loser. You know, there was this Buddha quote, said, you know, when he was asked, what did he get for meditation? He says, I didn't get anything. But I'll tell you what I lost. I lost my anger. I lost my resentment. I lost my fear of death. And so you lose, you lose things that are holding you back when you practice meditation. It's not necessarily about getting deep or going to this esoteric space, but it's about shedding the layers of irrelevancy so that you can now access your most authentic self. So I do have a, you're, you're part of my team i have a co- full compliment of it i've just been with one guy he's on abbot kenny how was it oh he's good yeah he's my shrink he's really good and mm-hmm. i've got another guy who lives over there he's my hypnosis guy and you're the other guy mm-hmm. um but so my hypnosis guy talks about um and just just to kind of tie up that that sitting in the cave or sitting on a mountaintop thing he talks about um when you've found that space of just like true tra- transcendence that there are people who find that so alluring, they never want to come back. Mm-hmm. And they live lives of, that's it. They get up in the morning, they have minimum calories to get through the day mm-hmm. and then just sit in this state and don't associate with anyone else because it's almost easier to be in that place than interact mm-hmm. with the planet. Mm-hmm. And those are the monks. So in India, what they say is that people don't choose to be monks you're you're naturally inclined towards that particular lifestyle. And so if it wasn't that practice, it may have been some other thing like a drug or, you know, some other kind of uh some other kind of substance that has that same effect on that person. And what that basically says is that their priorities are different. Yeah. Okay. So you can do something and like I, I have experienced meditation in a way that is super profound and beautiful and insightful and just the most amazing uh, feeling I've ever had. But I also like watching college football. <laughs> and I also like, you know, going out and, and being in relationships. And I also like playing with children. And those things are as important to me as having all the wonderful meditation experiences. So instead of, you know, being consumed by meditation or meditative experiences... Uh, for householders, we want to use that as a way to enhance all of our other experiences so I can make the time I'm spending with my family uh, richer and to make the time that I'm spending at work you know, more quality and that kind of thing. I um, I love that you're on Twitter. You can follow Light on Twitter. He's at Light Watkins uh, on Twitter. I came to meet you through a, through a mutual friend who um, he sort of looked in my eye. It was um, the meditation glow. Well, no, it was a pre-meditation glow. Oh. It was. Uh, <laughs> he saw the look in my eye. It was. Oh God, what was it January? So it was like seven and a half weeks after my divorce. And he's like, "You need to meet Light." <laughs> like really? He goes, "Yeah, I can. Yeah, just go, go see my guy." And um, so I've taken your course, and we, we should talk about this. I've, mm-hmm. I've taken your course. It's it's one path mm-hmm. of many paths. Mm-hmm. There's there's many paths to, to this. So. Um, it's the past that worked for me, but that's not to say there aren't other paths that can that can get people. Mm-hmm. But I was doing a bit of research around this. I found the earliest, the latest stats that I could find from 2007, and it said that 9% of Americans 
say they practice meditation. That's according to the National Institutes of Health. Nine percent. Mm. That's impressive. It's twenty nine million people. Yeah, or something. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That is. And of that, of those people, one um, percent use meditation as treatment or medication. Uh huh. That's three million people uh-huh. in this country. Uh huh. That's pretty. That's, that's a lot of people. That is. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, there's so many statistics out there. Meditation today definitely is picking up a lot of traction. It's still not where yoga is. I would say meditation right now is where yoga was maybe 25 years oh, ago. Yoga is the gateway drug. Yeah. Yoga is the gateway drug. But 25 years ago, yeah. you know, nobody was really practicing yoga except in places like Los Angeles and maybe yeah. little pockets of New York and, yeah. and, and maybe Sedona, Arizona or something like that. But for the most part, people definitely heard about it and they associated it with monks and Indian people. Mm-hmm. But nowadays... They sell yoga mats in Kmart and JCPenney's and, you know, probably even in 7-Eleven, you can go and find some yoga DVDs or something like that. It's like an essential tool for people. And so I think in the next 20, 25, 30 years, I think we're going to be seeing meditation reach that same level. Well, the the other research I found was that um, this week, actually, John Hopkins University found, uh, they said that um, mindfulness meditation it's been found to assist in depression, anxiety, and pain management. And there's also research into transcendental meditation, uh, which proves that it not only reduces negative emotions in neuroticism, but suggests that it may reduce cardiovascular disease, which is crazy. Yeah, when, you, it, when you think about all these drug companies that are making all this coin. Yeah. If you, could, if you had a pill that could do one half, one half of what a daily meditation practice could do for your body, you'd be a billionaire overnight a trillionaire probably right because it's that it's that effective and the research is so compelling now it's it's almost getting to a point where it's impossible to not take some sort of action on it and uh and i like that i like i like that the media is is putting meditation through these different rigorous tests and the scientists are because that's how we are we're a scientific logical society very mm-hmm. pragmatic we don't want to waste our time doing things in the the unfortunate thing with meditation is you can't, there's no real before and after picture that's very easy to, um, to uh, uh, defend. You know, people can always point up, pick apart things and look at other types of variables in your lifestyle. So it's hard to say that meditation definitely was responsible for this thing here. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that it's all self uh, evident when you practice for yourself, it, 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 you don't have to read any more studies. You don't have to do any more research. You just do your meditation. You see how you feel mm. at the end of the meditation. And it's, it's, it's through having that direct experience that you see that, oh, this is definitely what I should be doing right now. And, and, and this is sort of like a bookmark activity in my life. There's a part of my life before I started meditating. And this is the part of my life after I've started meditating. And they're totally, they're two completely different yin and yang. Without, that's definitely true for me. That's definitely true for me. So so let's, from your perspective, let's just un- unravel a few things that people may be thinking to, to, to come to this conversation with. What are some, what are some common misconceptions about meditation? Uh, common misconceptions are that you have to sit with your legs crossed on the floor. You have to sit with your back straight. You have to bring your fingers together. You have to control the mind. You have to do it for long stretches of time. You have to adjust your lifestyle in order for it to work. Those are those would be the biggest misconceptions. If you Google meditation and look at the images, 
every image that you see, for the most part, is going to be a picture of some guy or some woman sitting out in some field or on some rock or on some beach with their legs crossed, with their fingers together. And, um, and, and the position, if you try to get down and emulate it, is not going to be very comfortable. And so for regular people who aren't used to squatting and sitting like that, like they do in India, uh, when you get into that position, you're only going to be able to stay in that position for maybe a few seconds before your body starts aching. And when your body starts aching, that's going to start making your mind go even crazier. And uh, and then if you try to implement some kind of process or technique in that situation, it's just going to wear you out. So you come out of that experience thinking mistakenly that meditation is not for you. And what you didn't know is that actually it's okay to sit comfortably. It's okay to meditate on your couch. It's okay to support your back. It's okay, okay to use pillows and to let your breath be natural. And you don't have to focus or you don't have to concentrate. You can actually let your mind just wander and drift. And those little things there uh, may sound obvious for some people, but it's actually, it makes a huge difference in your practice. So that's what I teach people is, you know, don't try, don't worry about what you've seen in the pictures. Don't worry about what you think meditation is. Just get comfortable, get relaxed, and um, and be natural. Natural, simple, innocent is the best way to approach meditation. Well, most things I'd say. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? We're indoctrinated in our society to work hard and to try to control and to try to maintain awareness. And so that indoctrination inevitably will kick in in the meditation practice. And that's what can keep us... I'm not doing it right. I'm yeah. thinking about what I'm going to make for lunch. Billy Joel lyrics are coming in my head, <laughs> you know? A big, yeah, we're so obsessive. We're such an obsessive, compulsive culture that it inevitably will come into the practice. So um, so then I just have to keep reminding my students, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about that. It's okay. It's all right. A lot of it is just getting out of your own way. That's all. It's not even trying to do anything. It's just getting out of your own way. And that beautiful meditative state is already there. It's just waiting for us. And that's a that's a big breakthrough that I had with you was when you when you put that to me mm-hmm. and that me experiencing that rush of stimulus created by my own mind mm-hmm. was just my mind letting go of all that stuff mm-hmm. and just let it just pass me by. Yeah. And once I shifted that paradigm and once I reframed what those thoughts were, it was super easy mm-hmm. to let them go. Mm-hmm. Have I been able to access that kind of remarkable feeling of having my third eye massage from the inside? Not as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. However, it's just it, it makes it way less frustrating than it used. I used to get so frustrated. Yeah, I'd give up. And it's also it's a cumulative effect. So you know, as you continue having whatever experience you're having over time, it's going to refine itself. It's going to refine itself. It's like learning how to drive a stick shift car. It doesn't matter how competent you are in the knowledge of driving a stick shift car. If you pass all the traffic laws, uh, the traffic tests and all of that uh, in writing, but once you sit down in the car, it doesn't matter who you are, the first time you have that experience, you're going to end up stalling and jumping and leaping forward. And that's because you're trying to find the balance, right? And it takes practice to find the balance. So maybe, you know, the first few times you're having some problems, but after four or five times, you're able to find the balance enough so that you can pay attention to the road. And then it takes even more times before you don't have to really keep looking down at your hands and see what your feet are doing. Before you know it, you're texting with one hand. Before you know it, you're texting and you're driving with your knees and you're eating food and you're doing everything but paying attention to 
to drive. But at the same time, your subconscious is taking care of all those things. Well, yeah, it's a muscle memory. Yeah. So the meditation is the same thing. It's a muscle memory. You don't have to, if you're sitting in meditation trying to control and regulate everything, you're not meditating. Okay? You're contemplating. And contemplating is, it can be relaxing if, if, you're, if that's what your technique calls for, but you can actually go a lot deeper when you just let go of that control and allow the mind to dive in. And, and that state that everybody wants to get to is not a state that you can intend for or you can manipulate your way into. You have to allow it to occur. So it's when you're not looking for it, and that's when it happens. Right. And the only way to get that place is through that practice. Yeah, it's uh, no. You can have the experience through other, through other, um, in other environments. Like you can be out in nature and feel that kind of mm-hmm. sense of oneness. You can be swimming out in the ocean and feel that sense of oneness. You can be playing basketball and get that little zone type of feeling um, where you lose yourself. But it's not something that is reliable and what this what meditation does is it gives you structure so that you can actually have a reliable outcome so you know you're going to have that feeling associated with the experience uh-huh. so there's many different types of, of, of meditation mm-hmm. um that can get people to that place yeah um the what you taught me was vedic meditation right um and there's there's plenty of other different kinds, and mm-hmm. like I just want to know, like folks may be wondering, what's the what's the biggest difference between these different well, kinds of meditations, there, and what, there, which one to choose? If there are there are the techniques that are purpose built for householders, and there are the techniques that are more in alignment with monastic traditions. So here's a really simple way: you don't have to worry about memorizing any names or anything like that. All you have to do is look around and see who's doing it and who's excelling at it. And if the people who are excelling at it are all wearing robes and, you know, shaved heads and low calories intakes every day, then that's probably a monastic tradition, okay? So that means that you may excel at that tradition, but guess what's going to happen? You're going to start gear, you're going to start leaning towards the monastic lifestyle as a result because maybe that's the outcome of it. Yeah. And if you're looking around and the people who are enjoying the practice are all dressed like you and they look like you, then that's probably a householder style. Okay. And if you look around and you see a mixture of monks and householders, it's probably a hybrid style. So the the style that I have been teaching is uh, the Vedic meditative style is is one of the primary householder traditions. There are, there are only a few of these. Transcendental meditation, uh, of course, is one of them. And, um, and Deepak, Deepak has his primordial sound meditation right and deep and they're both all vedic primordial and transcendental meditation come from essentially the same source using they all use primordial sounds as mantras Mm -hmm. to allow the mind to de-excite from surface awareness down into pure consciousness and they all uh have about a anywhere from a 15 to 30 minute practice time you only do them once or twice a day and um and they all are taught personally by teachers. So if you're looking to learn meditation through a book or video, you know, that's all fine if, if that's all you have available to get started. But it, historically, being taught meditate to meditate happens through another, a master, a person, 
And, uh, and that's one of the reasons why it becomes effective and you can become consistent with it because you have someone to help troubleshoot your experiences. And I guess you're also accountable because the, the look of disappointment in your eye when I tell you how much I was, and <laughs> it was like, I really got to practice more. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the teacher can't necessarily be in everybody's living room saying, okay, it's time to meditate. So what they can do, though, is put you in the best position to do your own meditation. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you got to be easy on yourself, you know. Lower your expectations for yourself. Even with the teacher, if you only practice once a day as opposed to twice a day, that's still 365 meditations in a year. That's a lot of meditation for yeah. someone who never meditated before and who maybe maybe you have a history of very difficult times with meditation. That's still a lot of meditation. Yeah. Even if you only did half of that, it's a lot of meditation, 100 and something meditations. And if you hadn't had a teacher, if you had learned through a book or video, maybe you would have only meditated for three days. And that's it, okay? But you still got over 80 meditations in. So uh, one of the great things about the way we teach and the other householder traditions teach is that we expect people to fall off. We expect people to fade away and to get busy, too busy to meditate. And because of that, we, we, we ask people in the beginning to invest in the practice. We, 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 a lot of the teachers of Vedic meditation teach for a week's salary. So that's the, that's the financial investment. And, you know, you get a little pushback from that because people start to say, well, that's a lot of money to teach you, for you to teach me to meditate over four, se four sessions. And it's not just, you're not just paying, you know, for a mantra or for a four-session course. What you're paying for, what you're investing in is having a teacher at your side so that when you do fall off and or when you do get too busy to meditate, you have someone on the sidelines there that's going to help to re-inspire you two years down the line, four years down the line, ten years down the line. You have a long-term partnership mm -hmm. for support and and for inspiration. And so once they go through the course, the initially we all we give all of our students an open invitation to come back and repeat the course as much as or as little as they want. And if we do our jobs really good, then you know hopefully they don't have to come back and keep repeating the course in order to to uh, get a self-sufficient practice going, but it's it's always available, and I think knowing that that it's always available is is what keeps people um, uh, on the program more so than you know not feeling like they have any support out there. Um, Light is a, a prolific video blogger. You can follow him online at Light Watkins. He puts a YouTube video out pretty much. Pretty much every day. Every day. Every Bro, night. you're crushing it at the moment. Um, Is anybody watching those? Yeah, videos? man. People, don't worry. People watch. So for the, to the best of your knowledge, I mean, obviously you said you were, a, you were a student of this and you became, you know, quite fascinated with what, what happens to the body. What, what actually happens to the brain when, you're in, when we are meditating? Well, they have this, this scientific term. First of all, I'm not a scientist, okay? so um, You could put on a lab coat with a monogram and you could, <laughs> I would believe you. But I, I followed a lot of the science, and again, I have my own direct experiences for what meditation has done for me. But uh, from what I've read before, there's, um, there's a scientific term called the hypometabolic state of restful alertness, which describes both the mind and the body. So hypometabolism means that your, your nervous system is in a very de-excited state of rest, and the restful alertness also describes the brain during meditation, where certain parts of the brain that don't get to see any activity during the waking state starts to lighten up during the meditation state, but also the 
brain waves responsible for deep relaxation are also accentuated. So you have a combination of rest and alert occurring in the brain, which gives the body a unique opportunity to slip beyond the threshold of rest that it doesn't get a chance to achieve when you're sleeping at night. And so that's why they say with certain techniques, particularly these householder traditions, your nervous system can get states of rest that have been shown to be something like two to five times deeper than when you're sleeping at night. And that's pretty cool because it does feel like that when you come out of the meditation. It feels like you just took a three-hour-long disco nap. And, but you don't have that grogginess that you normally, that's normally associated with, with napping. So you have that happening in the brain, and, and then that means that certain parts of the brain that aren't being accessed on a regular basis are now getting touched. And, you know, as, as that happens, the brain is very plastic, and so those parts of the brain, those interneuronal connections that are responsible for accessing those brains will start to hardwire, which means that you have more brain power. You have more available brain power that you're accessing. And the statistic with that is that they say the average human is only accessing something like 2 to 10% of their available brain power, which is which doesn't mean you're 90% brain dead. It just means that depending on the activity, that determines how much of your brain power or where it's, where it's actually happening. And so if you're doing a headstand, for instance, in yoga class, the, the neurons on the top of the head are more um, dominant than the rest of the brain. But when you're meditating, it says the whole thing lights up like the 4th of July. And, right. and the, the analogy with that is, you know, the dominant part of the brain, there's always one dominant part of the brain if you're in the waking state. Well, in the meditation, that dominant part, that 10% dominant part, is kind of like you have a car that's running, and the rest of the brain is kind of like the car with the dead battery. And Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The inter interneuronal connections are like the jumper cables. So, that deep rest that you're getting from meditation is going to run through the dominant part and feed the rest of the brain so then the whole thing starts to come alive. And um, it's pretty cool. And then so when we come out of the meditative state, that part of the brain that we've kind of woken up is yeah now you, more available? It's more available over time. Yeah. So every time you finesse it, but then of course when you come out, you go back to your pre-meditative state, but not so much. You know, uh -huh. you, you stabilize a little bit at a time. Kind of like if, rain, if drops of water were falling into a pool, you know, you get a little puddle first, but then after a while of consistency, it'll start to form a pool. And Damn you, nature. Why does it have to be so slow? <laughs> it's nope. good that it's slow because, you know, meditation is over time. It will start to help you. you some tip? No, I'm good. It will start to help you to, uh, to 
examine and investigate your lifestyle that that may not have been sustainable, you know, whatever got you into the meditation room. Yeah. If you keep doing that, if meditation happened overnight, that means you keep doing that same lifestyle and it's not going to be as effective as when it happens slowly. You get to, you get an opportunity to go back and look at, well, let me see how much alcohol I'm consuming on every Friday night or how, you know, if I'm not surrounding myself with very inspiring people and that kind of thing. And so it starts to reinforce the change, the positive change from the inside out, which is really the only way it happens. So what about, for example, um, when we get stressed or when we're worried at work, uh-huh. a lot of the times it's like, that's too confronting, I'll deal with that later. And we put it in a, a back drawer somewhere, yeah. but we often never get to it. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. When we meditate, what happens to those thoughts and those energies that exist? Well, those thoughts, if it's truly a stress-related thought, that means that it it came with uh, one of the emotional uh, reactions of fear, sadness, anger, boredom, or uh, maniacal behavior. So if we have those emotions, then it triggers a chemical reaction in in the body. So the body gets saturated with stress chemistry, which is primarily cortisol and adrenaline. And the adrenaline keeps you hyperstimulated. The cortisol works on moving uh, energy around the body from what was considered to be necessary to what is now necessary, which is getting you in the best position to run away from that threat or to fight the threat. And that's all great, you know, if you're battling lions and tigers, but if you're just battling a report at work or dead cell phone battery or someone who's giving you unsolicited uh, constructive criticism, (laughs) then your body ends up paying a price for that, right? And there's a uh, long-term legacy of, of having gotten yourself into that stressful position because the body then memorizes all of the different emotions and sensations and feelings related to that experience. And they get stored up in the cells as stress triggers. So when you start meditating, because your body is now accumulating that high-quality rest, the rest is like kryptonite to the stress. So stress triggers cannot survive in the cells when you are experiencing that quality, that high quality of rest. And so the rest in meditation will go in and dissolve the stress which means that you will be able to go back into a situation that stressed you before, but without having that that emotional legacy hanging over your head and preempting you to go into the fight-or-flight response again just based on what someone is saying or how they're looking or or, or what you're smelling or you know any of those kinds of sensations. And this, this could, around. just to explain, this could be like, say, for example, if um, you've broken up with someone yeah. And you know it was it was difficult, and then you see them out. Exactly, you, you see f- their co- or, or you don't you even smell see their them. cologne. Yeah, you smell their, you smell a cologne that they used to wear, yeah. and someone else is wearing it, and yeah. you're on a date with that person. Yeah, where you're going to start to get in a bad mood, or you see you see a car that looks like their car, and it causes your heart rate to speed up. That's why I moved to Venice, man. There's so many black Priuses in West Hollywood. <laughs> Get out of here. Every black Prius. Well, like like I said, every time. What propelled me out of New York was that girl. I couldn't, we both lived in Harlem and I couldn't go anywhere. 
because we used to wash our clothes together in this laundromat. So I'm passing by the laundromat and I'm feeling this mm. stress reaction. And then yeah. the restaurant we always ate in, I'm feeling the stress reaction. And then, you know, she drove a little white Toyota Corolla and I'm seeing those all over the place. I never even noticed white Toyota Corolla. It's the worst, isn't it? All of a sudden, all you see and everywhere. Now all I see everywhere. Yeah. But that's the job of a stress trigger. The stress trigger's job is to keep you alive. It was. It was like last time the trees rustled, a cheetah jumped out and killed yeah, my friend. Exactly. So next time the trees rustled, I'm running. Exactly. Yeah. And so the rest chemicals that get released when you experience meditation, they, they, the stress can't survive in those rest chem in that environment where you're being saturated with rest chemicals. So when I'm in the meditative state, sometimes I get visited by these things. Mm -hmm. This is what we're talking about. Yeah. And it almost feels like that scene from Ghostbusters too, where the big pink shell is is kind of falling off the art gallery. You know, I get, I get that feeling like this stuff is peeling away. Yeah. Well, when you're releasing it, and this is another thing that people get tripped up on in meditation, is when you're releasing it, your body can mimic the same kinds of sensations, emotions, and feelings that you had initially. So then if you weren't trained by someone who warned you that this was going to happen at some point, you may think, oh, entities are invading me right now. And you go and Google it, you know, and anytime you Google anything like that, of course, you're going to see the worst, the, the extrapolated worst case scenario. And next thing you know, you're making a tinfoil hat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you just stop meditating altogether. Yeah. Thinking that it wasn't working, but actually it was working. You just were experiencing a temporary release. And now that that thing has left you, those old stress triggers have left you. They've passed back out of the filter of your consciousness. You felt it to a degree. You don't have to deal with it anymore. Because you may not have processed them on the way in, but we're reprocessing them on the way out. Exactly. Well, the reason why you don't process them on the way in is because everybody's stressed up the wazoo. It happens so fast. It happens fast, but also you got 20 other things that happened that day yeah. as well. So, you know, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not relevant. It's not important. It doesn't become noteworthy. But when it's passing out and it's accumulated with 10 other things that your, your body's releasing, it's, it's a lot like, I don't know if you've ever passed a kidney stone before. I stopped drinking coffee before that became a reality. <laughs> but I haven't either. But from what I understand, they hurt. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't think hurt is quite a big enough word, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the point is, you know, what a kidney stone is, is it's, it's, a, it's an accumulated, it's a composite, composite basically of, of waste matter that your kidneys have, have filtered out of your blood. And now it's got to go somewhere. Otherwise, it ends up blocking the, the, uh, the, 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 function of the kidney and so it goes out of the urethra and of course that is going to hurt yeah significantly i'd say so and but look once it passes it's out and you never have to do anything again it's yeah. it's out it's better out than in and you so you may need to stop drinking so much coffee yeah well yeah it, it encourages a a lifestyle change yeah and Meditation, when you're releasing stress, you could have the same kind of experience where something that's leaving you can seem a lot more painful than it was when it initially went in because now you're all, you're all zinned out and, and relaxed. And when the stuff is going out, and it could be something from 20 years ago that you long forgot, uh, when it's going out, you know, it causes you to get a little ruffled and maybe start crying in the middle of the day or maybe in the middle of the meditation you get angry or you have a what seems to be a panic attack, and that's just your body going through the motions of the release. All these things have happened to me. Yeah. All these are sitting right on that little pillow. I could tell there. you stories for days of, of what people have reported in meditation. We'll, we'll get to that because I want I do want to talk about that. But you touched on a thing. Um, neuroplasticity is a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can rewire how our brains work. Um, I 
you know, that, that, that I, when I realized that I didn't have to be stuck for the rest of my life with the brain I was born with or the brain, the brain functions that I had gotten into through habit or painted myself into a corner with, like it was, um, I, I was, for one, I was, I was trapped for years in, in irrational patterns of thinking. It was like a swarm of mosquitoes at sunset sometimes. Mm-hmm. It was inescapable. Um, and it's, Honestly, it's through using things like meditation that I've managed to unravel that and, and unpack that. And I just like would love your thoughts on on using meditation to to rewire the brain. Well, I mean, I think it's you know, it's a I like taking a holistic approach. I think the brain is important, the body is important, the spirit is important. At the end of the day, what we want to know, what we want to understand, is that any form, whether it's the brain, body, your chair, your car, your bike, any form, all it's ever going to do is adapt to the function. And if the function is to run and fight, then the form is going to adapt to that. And whatever the repertoire of events are that occur during the fight and flight response, that's what you're going to start to see show up more and more in your daily life. And if the if the function is rest and relaxation, then the form is going to start to adapt to that. And so now it becomes a numbers game. At the end of every day, of every 24-hour period, did you accumulate more rest or more stress? And if you accumulated more stress, then your form of your body and brain is going to start adapting to the stress. If you accumulated more rest, then the form in the brain is going to adapt to that. And you're going to and usually what what's shown is that people whose bodies and minds are adapting to rest are happier and have better uh, health and and higher quality experiences. And the people whose bodies are adapting to stress experience more disease and and illness and and unhappiness. And so it's pretty simple. You know, people may think, well, I don't, you know, meditation is good for hippies. It's not really good for me. But that's like saying rest is good for hippies and it's not good for me. That's ridiculous, right? So what those people are relying on is their sleep experience. But guess what? Most people in the world, and particularly in the Western world, are sleep deprived. So the one opportunity your body has to rebalance itself and dissolve the daily accumulated stresses is compromised. Why? Because you're going to bed after having a day of, of accumulating more stress than rest, which means that your body has now been saturated in stress chemistry. And you're lying down and you've gone out and spent all this money on your you know, Tempur-Pedic mattress and you have a really quiet room and a dehumidifier and white noise machine and all these accoutrements of sleeping well. But you can't sleep well at night because the chemicals inside of you are keeping you awake. That's their job. Your job is to warn you that the cheetah is about to jump out of the bush any right. moment. And and you got to be worried about how you're going to feed your family tomorrow. And you got to be worried about how you're going to get to work. You're to be worried about this and that and this and that. And so you end up tossing and turning. Or you have the other people who sleep like a brick through the night, but then they wake up and they can't wait to get to their coffee because sleep didn't work as well as it should have worked. They're super tired. So that's also sleep deprivation. They say the average 30-year-old, by the time you you get to that point, you owe your body two to three years of missed sleep. And so that's a lot of sleep debt that needs to get paid off. And that's one thing that meditation does really well. So not only is meditation useful for everybody, but it's a really great subsid- uh, supplement to the sleeping rest. It doesn't replace sleep. It enhances sleep. And that's why when people I teach learn how to meditate within days. I had a woman on my course last night who just graduated. She started on Sunday. She graduated on Thursday. She said, I've been an insomniac for many, many years, and I've been sleeping like a baby all week long. 
And I told her when I first met her, I told her that was going to happen because I've taught enough people to the point where I can be, I can confidently say meditation is going to help you sleep better. I don't even care what's been going on in your past. And that happened for her. And it happens all the time. And it's not magic. It's science. You give your body what it needs to wake up its intelligence. Your body already produces sleep chemistry, sleep pills. The body produces anti-aging chemicals. It can keep you youthful. It can increase the amount of elastin that the body produces to keep the skin bouncing back very tightly. The body already produces plenty of synovial fluid to keep your joints oiled. So all the back pain and the neck pain and the low testosterone and sexual dysfunctioning and the gastrointestinal disorders, it's all linked to stress, the stress reaction. If you Google symptoms of stress reaction or symptoms of fight or flight response, and you look at that list, you're going to see every single thing that most people suffer from. Right. And there's an undeniable connection that that stress leads to illness and disease. So just very interesting like that you're saying that most people, the only thing they've got to try and repair is their sleep. Mm-hmm. Yet, and I'm totally guilty of this, like checking Instagram until the moment my eyes shut. <laughs> it's possibly not excellent sleep pathology. Right. Well, the thing is you have to rely on all the other uh, suggestions, like don't use a computer in bed at night, don't yeah. watch television late, uh, don't have anything plugged up around your head and, you know, X, Y, and Z. But if, you, if, if what's going on inside of your body is healthy, then you can do all that stuff and it doesn't matter. You still sleep well at night. Yeah. You know, but if you're not, doing what you need to do inside, then yeah, you gotta you gotta rearrange your whole life. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> to um, try to to try to get, you know, twenty percent of the sleep that is possible. But with but what you're saying is like w- w- with meditation, uh you rec- you tell me twenty minutes in the morning, twenty minutes in the night. Generally. Generally. So with that extra forty minutes a day of access to that, you know, um place where my my brain is 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 recalibrating and, mm-hmm. and refreshing. Yeah. Um that that at least puts me in some control of how much recuperation I'm I can take care of. Well, yeah, I would take the me out of the equation and just say how much you your body can take care of. They say right. nine, 90% of the body's healing happens when we're sleeping at night. And that's our most unconscious state outside of meditation. So, um you know, y- if you had to organize your your body Killing off the cancer cells and infectious diseases and getting your heart to beat properly and blood pressure, you go crazy. There's too much to do. There's so many functions, right? So what we want to do is we want to just hand all that over to the body's intelligence and the nervous system and and let it do what it does. You know, stop micromanaging the whole thing. Because when we step in to micromanage, then other things start to go out of whack. And... You know, that's why, you know, with people who are going around obsessed with being in the present moment and being happy and all of that, trying to be happy means you're not actually happy or trying to be present means you're not actually present because you're thinking about it all the time. True present moment awareness means you're not thinking about being present. You're just fully engaged in that moment. And the same comes with happiness. To be thinking about present, you're already one thought away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like the people who are meditating, who are sitting there thinking about they're meditating all the time. You're not actually meditating if you're thinking about the fact that you're meditating. True meditation happens when you go beyond the surface awareness. The surface awareness is the same thing as you sitting in your, in your, at your desk reading a magazine about meditation. Right. Okay? So it's a, it's a unique state of consciousness. That's what true meditation is. And so those people who say there's no, there's no right way to meditate and all that, they don't really know what they're talking about either. 
You've taught probably thousands by now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that people report to you? Like outside of you spoke about you spoke about um, uh, sleeping better, mm-hmm. and you know the things we we were discussing: sleeping better, feeling healthier. What are some the more surprising? reports you've had from people particularly like from facets of their life that you thought wow that's interesting yeah um i had a woman who once told me that uh after 29 years of using bad tasting nail polish and hypnosis she was finally able to stop biting her nails after two weeks of meditating i had a woman who's a chain smoker uh for many many years two weeks into her meditation she stopped she just spontaneously forgot to smoke cigarettes Forgot. Forgot. Yeah, she lost the wow. the desire. That's what I was saying. You're a loser if you meditate. <laughs> you master. Wow. You become a master. I watched, of I've watched someone quit three times using hypnosis mm-hmm. and everything, and they still smoke. And she still she still stopped. She this has been three years later since she learned, and she hasn't she hasn't smoked again. Um, there was a guy in New York, an older gentleman in his sixties, who told me two things. Uh, one, when he showed up to my initial. Um, course to meet me you know i make people i ask people to take their shoes off just because i like to observe different indian traditions um, as if they were going to be learning back in the native land and usually this is no problem everybody just takes their shoes off except this guy said i can't take my shoes off Um, i got these i have a foot problem and these are corrective shoes and i can't really walk without intense pain unless i have my shoes on so we allowed him to come take a seat first and then remove his shoes which he did and so I remembered him because of that. And he ended up learning to meditate and went through the course. And he was one of those people, you know, you see this a lot with older people. Uh, they already researched all the other methods of trying to find happiness, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And they've now gotten to the point where they've done enough research and they're convinced that this is definitely something that they need to be doing. And this guy found me because he had some gastrointestinal issues that his Ayurvedic doctor uh, told him you need to start meditating because even if I give you treatment, if your body is stressing out, then it's not going to be effective. So he starts meditating daily and sends me an email about three months into it saying, Light, you're not going to believe this, but I was walking around my house today cleaning up and I looked down and noticed that I wasn't wearing my corrective shoes. He said, I've had this metatarsal problem for years, spent a fortune on corrective shoes, and now my feet are fine. And I wasn't even looking for that in meditation. That's just some other byproduct of me being consistent with my practice. And then he went on to say how six months after that, you know, it would take him 15 minutes to get out of bed because he had some back issues. And he said now he just leaps out of bed like a 10-year-old kid. So, you know, I hear a lot of things like that. Um, Do people talk about productivity or their life Yeah, they work? T- people, you know, they go on to create some amazing things. You know, start businesses. Uh, there's a guy I taught to meditate. He started the Dollar Shave, Shave Club. I don't know if you know him. You sh- you sh- showed him how to meditate? Yeah. Wow, man. There's a guy who just uh, who I taught to meditate who just created this television show called Enlisted, which premieres tonight. And it features, it stars another guy that I taught to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, these guys are doing some pretty amazing things. The guy who created the High Line in New York, he's a meditator. Um. And that's and that's another thing that I really I say a lot. I say, look, I don't really care at the end of the day what's happening inside of your meditations because that's all being worked out by your nervous system anyway. Sometimes you'll go deep, sometimes you won't. It's all fine. What I really want to see in terms of progress is what else are you doing in your life? You know, are you sleeping better? 
Are you making better choices for yourself? Are you accessing your full potential? Are you using the gifts that you have uh, to bring to the to the world? And and I, I and I see that I see I see that a lot in in uh, people who meditate. So can we let's let's wrap up with this because I know you've written about this. You've written about about purpose mm-hmm. and that this is uh, it looked like. And you just mentioned it then. It's like it's like a great accompaniment to what what it is you already teach. So people may have suddenly found themselves with now that all their time and energy isn't just keeping their head above water through the day. They were all this, well, what do I do with all this power now? Yeah. What, what do I do with all this? So how do you help people direct that? How do people help Well, people I, t- I tell them that part of what I'm doing is I'm teaching you to meditate, right? But a larger part of this is teaching you how to create more experiences that you want to have, making you self-sufficient in that way. And I don't have the answers for you, but the answers are there inside of you. And I'm going to show you how to tap into them. And then I'm going to show you how to stabilize enough bliss in the back of your awareness so that you're not worried about what other people think about you. Not only listening to those ideas, but taking action on those ideas. And then we're going to top that off with a knowingness that wherever you are is exactly where you should be. And whatever you're doing is exactly what you should be doing. And the whole thing can change in five minutes. And so you're going to be present enough to be tuned into that change so that you can make those adjustments. And that's how you live a fulfilled life. It's not about trying to control the outcome or the timing of what it is that we're working on or being locked into a preference or desire as if it's going to last for our whole lives. It's about being present. It's about finding balance in yourself so that you can continue moving forward and progressing in whatever your in whatever endeavor you are here to be a part of in your life, and I, I guess you know the, the question is how do we how do we know when we've got there? Uh, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> you'll know. There'll be signs all over the place. The question is not really the, is are there signs? The question is are you able to see them? And so if you've been doing what you have to do, yeah. then you're going you're gonna to open up your perceptual acuity and you'll be able to capture them. And then once you get that, that sign, then you'll, you'll know. So, okay, so like, I guess like I've got one more, one more question. Like when I'm here, I'm talking to you. All right, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm present. I'm here in this room. I'm not thinking about, you know, bills I've got to pay or is my car charging or, right. you know, what's happening back in Australia. The other state of consciousness that I have is like, oh, I'm asleep and I'm dreaming of things that I have no control of and oh, that's interesting. I'm watching this slideshow go by. What happens to the me that I am and where do I go when I'm sitting on my little cushion over there and I feel like someone's pushing on the inside of my skull and my third eye? Where, mm-hmm. where does my consciousness go? Like that? Well, most people see their consciousness as this kind of individual thing that is separate from all the other things. Because it's definitely it's like a third state that I I yeah. don't access normally is how that's the only way I can describe it. It's a yeah. place that I get to, like you mentioned earlier, maybe briefly, like maybe when I'm surfing or when I'm running or when mm-hmm. I'm cycling, I, I get glimpses of it. Like if I'm out on my paddleboard and it's me and the dolphins in the sunrise, and that's you know I get that. Technically, but it's, it's sustained, but it's only for glimpses. But it's sustained when I'm meditating. Yeah. And technically, it's a fourth state of consciousness. So we all experience waking, dreaming, and sleeping. Those are the three states we all experience. And what makes those three distinct is that they each have their own unique physiology, they have a unique point of view, and they all happen spontaneously. 
So the fourth state, the meditative state of consciousness, is something that you can you can stumble upon through activity, but it's more sustained in meditation and more reliable and consistent through meditation. So uh, the 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 three states, the first three states are kind of like the wave, and the fourth state is kind of like the ocean experience. So they're both a part of the same thing, but when you're in the wave, you're still separate, you're still different, but when you're in the ocean, you're merged into the oneness. So um, the spirit, the soul, the essence of who we are in Vedic tradition, in Indian tradition, they say is the ocean. We are the ocean. We are the ocean having a wave experience. We're not the wave having an oceanic experience through meditation or through prayer or through church or through spiritual practice. It's the other way around. We're the, we're the ocean. We're the ocean, which is, which is temporarily exp expressing itself as a wave. And so what meditation does is it gives us the opportunity to de-excite that wave so that it can merge again with the ocean so that we can feel that sense of oneness. And then when it comes back into the wavehood, when we have to go to work, when we have to go out on a date or wherever we're going, the wave takes some of that remembrance of what it felt like to be one with the ocean. And that's what makes the difference inside is you stop seeing and focusing on how people are different from you and you start to notice the unity connection, how things are similar to you and how everything is ultimately tied together. And so, you know, when we have the moments of coincidence, it usually feels very good because it's a reminder that everything isn't random. That, wait a minute, I had this thought about this person and now I'm now they're calling me. There must be some divine connection there. And it's a, it's a wonderful occurrence and it becomes a storyline for part of the day where you tell your friends what happened. But this is, what if, what if this was all that was ever, that was ever happening? And what if you were missing most of it? And what if through meditation you started capturing more and more of it? How powerful would you feel if you knew that you were always on purpose no matter where you were and that there were all kinds of signs uh, reminding you that you're exactly where you need to be? So that's, that's what I would say was the biggest benefit that I've experienced in my 11-year meditation career is that knowingness that is, uh, that is solidifying the my resolve in, in doing what I'm doing and, and, and in being where I am and, and just, you know, allows me to have more fun in the whole thing. Cause I, I, I realize I can't actually screw it up. I can't go wrong. Cause I'm always on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> yeah. And on purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just, I just remembered as we were describing that, I remember like the first time that I meditated with you, and I, it, it was wild that it happened that first time that I got a glimpse of that ocean experience you're describing. Mm -hmm. And it was so frightening, I pulled out of it straight away. So it was so <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah. And that was a real, that kind of really freaked me out that t t it was not a feeling of not being in control. It was just a feeling of this is a thing that I've never done before. And mm -hmm. like, Maybe it was a feeling of not being in control. I don't know. Well, you surf, right? Terribly, but yeah. I you love grew, it. You grew up in Sydney. I grew up in Brisbane, but yeah, Brisbane. I surfed in Sydney. I enjoy it. I'm terrible yeah. at it. Like you golf. guys, I'm the, terrible the at Australians golf. in general are big ocean people. Yeah, we right? are. I grew up in Alabama, so right. there was no ocean around me. And the first time I saw the ocean, I was 13 years old, and I probably watched Jaws about 20 times. And so when I looked at the ocean, all I saw was 
the potential to be attacked by Jaws, who was probably out there circulating, waiting for me to get in. The, the shark smells fear. I'll be the most scared person in the ocean. And so it would just be a matter of time before I got devoured. So that's how I approached that experience. But someone who grew up around the ocean and, you know, swimming in the ocean since they were little toddlers, you embrace that experience. You didn't think twice about going in the ocean. You know, it's, Not at all. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like the most wonderful thing in the world. So I get how some people can be afraid of that if you've never experienced it before mm-hmm. in the first few times. And, you know, it takes, like me, it took time to get in, in and out of the ocean. And what really made it click for me was going scuba diving. I had an opportunity to go scuba diving probably eight years ago. And I got a chance to go underneath the ocean and see how massive it is and see how there's nothing under there looking for me, <laughs> you know? And and that's what meditation is. It gives you an opportunity to go into that oceanic state and just see how beautiful and peaceful the whole thing is. And after I had that experience, then I was able to go I swim, you know, do open water swimming and yeah. just swim and just play around in the ocean and not really think think much about it. So yeah. With 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 repeated experiences, the same thing happens through meditation. As people get more familiar with that aspect of themselves, because it's a part of you. It's not something that's separate from you. And that's, I think, what scares us initially, because it's a new experience. But when you start to see that, wait a minute, this is part of me, and it's a part of them, and it's a part of that, and it's a part of this, then you start to get, you look forward to it. What's wild is that the way you described it just then it's pretty much how my friend described their ayahuasca sweat lodge experience. Mm. And I'm kind of glad that I can access that without drinking the weird tea. <laughs> <laughs> that smells like Willie Nelson's braids. <laughs> I wouldn't know, man. I don't, it works for them and good on them, but it's, it's not for me. <laughs> it's not for me. Um, you can follow Light on Twitter. He's at Light Watkins. Uh, beginmeditating.com. Yeah, beginmeditating.com is my website, and you can learn with me live. And I also have an online course if you're nowhere near Los yeah. Angeles or New York or Chicago, and you can you can learn the basic meditation principles through that course. Um, I I I think we might have you know helped people understand a bit more about so. what this is. And if they if not if they have questions they can always reach out to me. I'm light at beginmeditating.com. Look at you. Yeah, why not? You're the king. So far, nobody's knocking anyone over to to get to the meditation teacher to ask questions. So. I don't know. You sound like you're 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 one man hit machine. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're breeding success. Sounds like I'm on the right path. Yeah, but you know what? Meditation still has a long way to go. It still has a long yeah. way to go. If but you're... I think you're right, bro. I really think you're right. I think you're right in that. You know, you look 20 years ago, and, and yoga was this kind of weird fringe hippie activity, an odd thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and you couldn't buy a yoga mat in Target. And now my mother does it. Yeah, and that meditation. I'm, I'm grateful that both my parents were into meditation and yoga mm-hmm. in Adelaide in the 70s, man. Mm-hmm. They had to find the one Indian woman in town that could teach them. Mm. And my father reported that, you know, meditating was, was really good and helped his hypertension and, and, and really helped him. But but And these are doctors who only believe peer-reviewed science. Your parents? Yeah. Okay. I only believe peer-reviewed science. Mm-hmm. Then my, my dad's famous line... Um, when asked about homeopathic medicine, um, homeopathic remedies. And um, he goes, yeah, we have a name for homeopathic remedies that work. We call it medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where these people came from and they came to meditation yeah. that way and, and, and it really worked for them. So thankfully, as a kid, I was exposed to it a bit, but it was, always, it was, it was not like it was when I experienced it um, doing your course. But And I, I, you know, I've done a few other different versions of it, but, you know, what – 
I learned with you worked for me. And it's not to say that what I learned with you will work for everyone. And, you know, there's, as we said, there's many different paths in. But Well, I think, I think that um, most people would agree that meditation would be good if they could do it. Yeah. And, but I think where they fall short is they think they can't do it. And that's usually because their only experience has been some video or some guy on, you know, in their church or something like that who didn't really, he may have had good intentions, but maybe he didn't quite, he wasn't as, as studied himself in the practice mm. enough to be able to explain it so that it can be accessible for other people. So when they find the real deal, like I did and like you did, then it's the easiest thing in the world and you, something that you look forward to doing. And, you know, if it wasn't that, I wouldn't be doing it either. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think you should need discipline to meditate. You need to be committed to something, but you should be committed to something anyway, right? But discipline is only for things you don't like doing. You know, if you, if you like eating dessert, you don't need discipline to go to a restaurant and order dessert. You go to the restaurant and you look at the menu already thinking that you're going to have this for the dessert. And so you base your other selections off of your dessert choice, right? right? And if you look forward to meditating, you wake up in the morning thinking, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to meditate now. I know I'm going to meditate at 4 o'clock. So I'm not going to schedule anything between uh, 4 and 4.30 because that's my meditation time. And you look forward to that time. When it comes, it's like, okay, I get to meditate now. That's how I want people to feel about meditation because that's what how it's been for me. And if it's not like that for you, then y you haven't been taught as well as you could be taught. Right on. And that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you so much, Light. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm going to take your photo. Okay, perfect. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.